And welcome to the Ancient Slumber Podcast, show number 11. My name is Chris Ward, and as ever, I am joined by Myron Schmidt. How are you doing, Myron? Good, Chris. How are you? Yes, I am still alive. That's as much as I can hope for. <laughs> it's as much as anybody can hope for. Exactly, exactly. Oh, dear. Number 11 already. I know, right? Who'd ever thought we'd get to double digits? I know. This is mad. I know. And we're getting listener suggestions as well. This is This is all good. It's all good, <laughs> I think. Which means we've got at least two listeners because we've gotten two listener suggestions. That's it. <laughs> two two people we can keep happy. That's right. All uh, right. On today's fun-filled extravaganza, we are looking at the Exorcist and all of its many, many, <laughs> its many brethren, prequels, sequels, whatever. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting one. Yeah, that it will. <laughs> <laughs> We're also having a little look at the Arrow Video Blu-ray release of Black Mama, White Mama. Pam Greer, as always. And the wonderful Sid Haig. Absolutely. My spirit animal. <laughs> and we've got the usual good, bad, and ugly. Absolutely. My favorite part. Well, let's dive straight into your favorite part then. Let's do it. Okay. I will kick it off with My Good is a movie called Splinter. Okay. Have you seen this one? Uh, I don't think so, but the title rings a bell, so tell me about it. It's some spiny parasite thing that traps four people, three people, in a gas station. Ah, yes. Yes, I have. Plays out with minimal cast. Special effects are really, really good for the parasite that attacks the humans and turns them into these crazy... Upside down spider things almost. Mm. Uh, very good. Re- really a good movie. I mean, it's, you know, it's kind of like the thing, only yeah. a little, you know, it's got its own little, you know, bits and bobs and twists and turns. But overall, it was really, uh, really just a really good movie. Yeah, I think I saw that on Netflix. I saw it on, on my service I pay for called Shudder. It's uh all mo- all horror movies. Yeah, yeah. Don't know don't know if you have that over there, but yeah, it's really good. No, we don't, but they are following me on Twitter, so Yeah. Via you, I think. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Splinter, very good. Really, really good movie. I put it on Netflix one night and I think I sort of had it on in the background while I was doing something else. So I kept sort of looking up every few minutes and uh, ah, got the gist gotcha. of what was going on. It's one of those films you can you can follow pretty easily. 
Oh yeah. There's yeah. no, yeah. It's not like we're, you know, trying to do citizen Kane or anything like that. It's <laughs> very straightforward, but very well done. Yeah. Excellent. Okie dokie. Uh, my good is a film called sweet vengeance or in the U S I think it was called sweet water. I don't think I've seen that one. No, it's uh, a Western. Then I definitely haven't seen it. <laughs> Are you not into Westerns? I, I really don't like a lot of Westerns. Oh, OK. I do. I like a Western. Um, yeah, it came out uh, about three years ago and it's got Jason Isaacs in it and Ed Harris and Jan- January Jones, I think her name is. OK, OK. And it, it's it's just a revenge. It's pretty much a straight up revenge story. It's very much similar themes along the lines of There Will Be Blood but a lot smaller scale. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. And it's Jason Isaacs plays this preaching landowner in the West who thinks he's God's instrument on earth. And if God owns the earth, then everything is, must be his sort of thing. (laughs) Yeah. Gotcha. He uh, murders a local Mexican farmer and his wife goes on the revenge trail. And then Ed Harris plays like the sheriff who comes between them. Yeah. Yeah. Really good. Quite low key film. Yeah, the ending's a slight anticlimax given the build-up, but uh, apart from that, no, it's one. Of, it's quite gripping. It's only about an hour and a half long. It's not very long. Oh, good, excellent. There's lots of blood squibs going off. Jason Isaacs is a bit of a git in it. Ed Harris is wonderfully insane, and it's all all good. Excellent. I found out that you do not like crime dramas where I do, and I don't <laughs> care for westerns where you do. Oh, it's not. I don't like crime dramas. I don't like TV crime dramas. I just don't watch television. Oh, okay. I don't want a crime drama in a film. I'll tell you what, you you lot over there do great crime dramas, but by the time I get to see them, they're like four years old. <laughs> well, what was the one you were watching recently? Chasing Shadows and Prime Suspect with Helen Mirren. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, my missus watches one called Silent Witness. I'll have to look for that one. Yeah, she watches that all the time on all the old catch-up channels and all that sort of stuff. But uh, no, I, I can't follow them, to be honest. I do my head in. It's always the same, <laughs> it's always the same people in them as well. Yeah, sometimes they are. Exactly. Oh, well. What's your bad, then? Oh, God. Sorry, Michael Rooker. It's a movie called Hypothermia. Okay, I don't know that one. It's about this, what could only be described as a latex, bodysuit-clad lizard man that lives underneath ice. Right. I Full latex. It, it's, oh, God, it looks... It, it's just awkward. The dialogue's awkward. The story's awkward. The monster is comical. It, it just, from start to finish, it's it's just not very good at all. Oh um, is that a recent it's one? Fairly recent. Uh, I didn't write down the year, but it is. Uh, oh, it's not the success it, of Walking Dead going to his head then. No, 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 no. This is uh, a paycheck film. Somebody had to pay the light bill. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny. These movies. You know, the actors do as well as they can, but, you know, there's only so much you can do with. What's that in the background? You've got to be kidding me. What? I think the cats brought a bird in the house. Oh, I thought you had an alien invasion going on. Jeez. (laughs) Game over, man. Game over. Yeah. (laughs) But no, it was just it was just kind of a mess. Um, Came on Netflix, put it on, went, oh, boy, this is bad. Ah, well, so yes, your comment about um the actors and all that you made just now sort of leads into my uh my bad. Oh, really? Yes, it's a film called Brotherhood of Blood. Okay. From two thousand seven. When I tell you who's in it, and I'll tell you, it's a vampire film. Okay. And it stars Sid Haig and Ken Foree. 
and it's bad. And it's I'm I, I tell I'm going to read you my letterbox review. Okay, I gave <laughs> okay. it half a star, but quite possibly one of the most terrible films I've ever seen, and I'm not happy. <laughs> Honestly, you know you know my love for anything with Sid Haig in it. Absolutely, which is why I'm surprised. Yeah, and I mean, you look at the cover of the film, you've got Sid Haig and Ken Furry, both in vampire makeup, and you think, oh, this is going to be good. Oh, man, this was... Fuck me, there's an ice cream van in the background now. It's <laughs> off. <laughs> right, yeah, and it's... um. Yeah, it's a lame story about, you know, these vampire hunters have to find this amulet to stop the, the superhead vampire. And they have to team up with Sid Haig's vampire and they capture Ken Faree's vampire. And, oh, man, it's just utter drivel. Uh, Sid Haig's only in it for a few minutes and he's the best thing in it. He does look pretty good as a vampire. Ken Faree is... I don't want to say Ken Faree's terrible because he's not a terrible actor, but I think he thinks he's in another film. <laughs> I think he thinks he's in Blackula because he comes across as this... He delivers his lines like he's a 70s pimp. And he's pretty good if he was in Blackula. But in this, no, it's just, it's fucking awful. Don't bother. Okay, I won't bother. No. <laughs> and my truly ugly yeah. is called Haunting of Cell Block 11. <laughs> right. Okay, so initially I thought it might be found footage, so I have to watch it. Well, it's not, but it's the same premise. Ghost hunters go to the Cell Block and they've got ghostly apparitions and it it just it's a mess it, it just it's just ugly good concept it just just couldn't make it through i mean the ghostly apparitions were comical because they'd leave them on the screen too long rather than you know trying to build some tension with maybe doing a quick shot to and from oh no they leave them on the screen they go into pieces like they're traveling other places it just is you know and then they show them when they're fighting with people rather than just show the people just fighting i mean it they just kind of missed the mark. They overused special effects. Yeah, yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, it looks more like a video game. Yes, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yes, and I mean, yeah, there's a, you know, I don't know how many hauntings of, you know. Oh, there's loads of them, isn't there? Yeah, prisons we've gotten or asylums. I mean, we've got a bazillion of them. And, you know, when you're going to do that, you got to kind of up your game. And they yeah. just couldn't do it on this one. Yeah, okay. All right. So you may want to avoid that one, Chris. Oh, I'll bear it in mind. Yeah, I'm sure it's in your queue. Go ahead and delete it. <laughs> I'll I'll do that right now. There, yeah, delete it. Yeah, gone. Yeah. <laughs> right, My Ugly is a film that I absolutely adore, but it is an ugly film to watch, and you've got to have a very broad sense of humour. I mentioned it in the last podcast, actually. It's a Danish film called Clown. Oh, Clown, yes. Yes, Clown with a K. Is it a horror movie or otherwise? No, 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 no. Um, apparently, it's based on a Danish TV series. Like a, a comedy show, which I've never seen. This came, I came across this a couple of years ago. It came out on Arrow Video over here. Yeah, it's a road trip movie. Two guys who go on a canoeing weekend. One of the guys has got a girlfriend. She's just announced she's pregnant, but she's not sure if he'll make a good father. The other guy is married, but he's going away just to get laid as often as he can. They end up having to take the pregnant woman's nephew with them. So this guy can prove that he's responsible enough and they just get into all sorts of mishaps while they're out on the road. Gotcha. gotcha. Um, it's fucking hilarious. Even if it's in Danish, the humor still comes across. You could almost say it's a bit like 70s slapstick. Not what we would have in Britain, you know, the 70s slapstick stuff. Oh, sure, sure. No, I know exactly what you're talking about. But a bit more X rated. 
I mean, if I was to sit here and tell you the funny bits, it probably wouldn't sound very funny. You need to watch it and need to sort of get their expressions and their reactions and things like that. But yeah, it's not safe for work. Uh, it's not safe if your parents are around to watch it. <laughs> but it is fuck, fucking hilarious. I was watching a Danish, uh, I could be wrong. Maybe I misread it. It's supposed to be kind of a intended for younger audience, um, called Heartless. Okay. But it's, I, I don't know what the Danes are doing over there with younger audiences, but it wouldn't fly here in America for yeah. younger audiences. I think they're a little bit more broad-minded. I think so, too, because we certainly, oh, my God, that'd be rated X here. Yeah. Yeah, I know I mean, there's there's certain restrictions when they do these ratings. I don't know what the MPAA are like, but the BBFC, if something is obviously for humor, you can get away with it because there's stuff that's in clown, especially at the end. If that was played any other way, it wouldn't get through. Right, but right. It's no, so, this is it's so this... obviously played for laughs that you know it's, it's not that offensive in that way. Oh no, this is pure sex. So they're at a boarding school, mm. and so you're never really quite sure. Am I looking at you know everybody has to be, I assume, older there unless they allow 15 year olds to show boobs, but I I don't think so. Uh, I don't know in European law. To be honest, I know you've got to be 18 here. Yeah, same here. Although N- Natasha Kinski did a full frontal when she was 14 into The Devil a Daughter. Really? Yeah. Have you not seen that, the Hammer film? No, no. Well, she's the daughter of Klaus Kinski, who was uh, very liberal with a lot of laws himself. So, oh, yeah, you know, Allegedly, in case yeah. the lawyers are listening. That's right. <laughs> exactly. Alleged. Yes. Yes. And that was the 70s as well. But uh, we'll, move, we'll move away <laughs> yeah. from that. Yes. We've been down this road before. Yeah, yes, yes, we have. <laughs> so yeah, Clown is my ugly film. Yeah, it's, it's hilarious. If you can catch it somewhere, do, because it is brilliantly funny, but it's a, it's, you've got to have a very, uh, strong threshold of, for humor. Oh, I absolutely sounds like my kind of movie. Yeah. <laughs> oh, goodness. Goodness gracious me. That was, that was that. Should we move on to something more cheerful? What, like Demon Possession? Yeah. All right, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's. Yes, this was a listener suggestion. Our friend uh, Steve Dinsmore wanted us to cover The Exorcist, so we Steve. did. Steve! Yes. I don't remember that bit in the film. Well, you know. Let Stephen fuck you. No, sorry, no, no, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, 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 no. no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> but 19, 1973's The Exorcist. Let's play a clip. Somewhere between science and superstition, there is another world. The world of darkness. Nobody expected it. Nobody believed it. And nothing could stop it. There are no experts. You probably know as much about possession as most priests. Look, your daughter doesn't say she's a demon. She says she's the devil himself. I'm telling you that that thing upstairs isn't my daughter. Now, I want you to tell me that you know for a fact that there's nothing wrong with my daughter except in her mind. You tell me you know for a fact that an exorcism wouldn't do any good. You tell me that! 
Right then, The Exorcist, 1973, directed by William Freakin, starring Ellen Burstyn, Max von Sydow, Linda Blair, Lee J. Cobb, Kitty Wynn, Jason Miller, William O'Malley, and some other people. I don't really. <laughs> uh, and based off the book by William Peter Blatty. That's right. When a teenage girl is possessed by a mysterious entity, her mother seeks the help of two priests to save her daughter. Ooh. Ooh. Well, that's a nice straightforward plot, isn't it? it? There's not much to it. And to be honest, it's about as straightforward as this series is going to get. Shh. <laughs> <laughs> I'll lay me cards on the table right now. <laughs> you know, and this one for me is uh, tough to talk about because it's, uh, it's definitely a five star, one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Um, right then, good. Exodus 2 then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the, I, I think that, God, the thing about it, this achieves what John Carpenter did in Halloween, what John Carpenter did in The Thing especially, is that soundtrack. Yes. Every time I hear that and I'm in a dark room, I am looking over my shoulder. I wouldn't even, I think that the trick with The Exorcist as well is it's not just the musical theme, it's the other noises that are going on as well. Yes, yes. And there's a lot of multi-tracked voices and sound effects all going on at any given time, even in a scene where there's not much actually happening. Exactly. Very unnerving. When we get to our feedback, we're going to hear that exact same point raised by someone else. We are. They, for what, however they did it, but William Friedkin achieved a level of creepy even in non-creepy scenes. I mean, take take that scene where she's in the hospital and it's the old school CAT scans, so they're injecting dye into her neck. I mean, that was creepy. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. yeah, it was just creepy. I mean, that big CAT scan machine or whatever, I assume CAT scan, you know, it was crazy. Let's go back a little bit then before we get into it. I'll just set the scene here because as with Texas Chainsaw Massacre, we've, we're coming at this film from two different angles, really. Yes. Because this was not available in the UK for many, many years. Um, it had a theatrical run in the 70s, um, but it never got a home video release until 1990, I want to say 98, it could be 99, I think it's 98, the 25 years anniversary. Really? Yes, because good old James Furman at the BBFC. Oh, God. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. give it a certificate. Well, maybe Mary Whitehouse told him not to. Well, I think, I mean, unlike Texas Chainsaw, I mean, his reasoning for not cutting Texas Chainsaw down, I think, whether I agree or not, his reasoning was... If you take anything out, there's not one thing you can take out because the whole thing is one tone, if you like. Correct. Yes. With The Exorcist, I think there is an obvious thing you can take out. I mean, it was the it was the let Jesus fuck you scene. Yes, absolutely. Which did the most damage. And I think if you'd have taken that out, you lessen the film's impact. Yes. And I think I mean, I may be wrong. I think that's the lines they were thinking upon. I haven't seen the theatrical release in, God, years, but I think they t- actually toned that down a bit. They didn't take it out, but I thought they toned it down. here. But I really couldn't be sure because I haven't seen the theatrical in forever. Did you watch the director's cut then for this? Yes. Oh, yes. I see. I watched the theatrical for this. Ah, OK. OK. Uh, we suppose we should have synced that up first, really, shouldn't we? <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I think, you know, the biggest difference is, is they added a, a little bit more on the front end of the movie mm. uh, that they did on the theatrical, from what I remember. Well, interestingly, the thing about The Exorcist is, uh, this is just my opinion, you've got two cuts of it. I don't think either cut is damaging to the other one. I think you can watch them as two separate films. Absolutely. And I think a lot of the time, you know, uh, the, the, the example that springs to mind, and not in a film-wise comparison, but if you look at Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, okay. there's the bog-standard theatrical cut, which is the one everybody slated when it came out, and then there's the director's cut, which radically changes a lot of things. So I won't ever watch the theatrical cut of that again. If I'm going to watch that, I'll just watch the director's cut. With The Exorcist, I think if you watch the theatrical cut, you get more things in certain scenes than you do in the director's cut. Likewise, I think if you watch the director's cut, you get certain things out of that that you don't get in the theatrical cut, if you know what I mean. I don't think one detracts from the other. I'm trying to decide which version I have in my box set. If it's Is it the Blu-ray box set? Yeah, from Scream Factory. You should have both. Maybe they're on one disc. Yeah, could be. Huh, all right. Interesting. I think I've only ever seen the uh, just standard release. Okay. Did you have the spider wall in your one? God, it's been so long since I've seen that movie. If if you've got the director's cut, that's got the spider walk in it. Okay. If you All haven't, right. then that's the theatrical cut. Gotcha, gotcha. Where was I? Yeah, see, I what I've got the 40th anniversary Blu-ray of just the first film, obviously, and that's got both cuts in it. Okay, okay. And I've got the DVD box set with everything else in it. Gotcha. I don't think I'll bother going up for a Blu-ray with all the others, to be honest. <laughs> Unless I see it at a very reasonable price, but. Uh, yeah, it's not going to be reasonable for a while. You'll nah. have to pick up at a used store somewhere. Yeah. Like I was saying, this wasn't available for many, many years, and I actually saw Exorcist 2 and 3 before I saw this all the way through. But I first became aware of this film in the 80s, and I picked up a video from our video rental store, and it was called something along the lines of Hollywood's Greatest Horrors or something like that. And it had lots of clips from horror films. Okay. Mainly from 70s ones. There was The Exorcist... Amityville Horror, The Entity. They were the three I remember. There were a few others, but they were the three I remember. Um, they basically played near enough the whole film of The Exorcist in clips, except for the Let Jesus Fuck You scene. Yeah, yeah. So I basically saw the whole thing apart from that scene, just in bits. And then I remember asking my mum and dad about it, and they said, oh, yeah, 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 The Exorcist, yeah, you can't get it. So I was like, oh, okay. And then lo and behold, a few years later, the, the mythical person at school whose dad's got a tape of it. <laughs> Appeared. Same as the Texas Chainsaw. So uh, I did get to see it, see uh, that bit, but it was such a crap tape. We didn't sit through all of it, to be honest. That bad, huh? Yeah. So I didn't actually see the whole thing in one go in a decent quality until it got re-released in the cinema in about 98. And it was one Sunday morning. I just said, oh, fuck it. I'm going to the cinema. So about 11 o'clock in the morning, there's me in the cinema watching The Exorcist. Alone? Yes. Oh, very good. Best way to watch it. Oh, it was fucking brilliant. Oh, yeah. I've never seen it at the big screen, but yeah, yeah, I bet. Oh, it was great with the surround sound speakers. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Definitely the way to watch it, if you can. So, yeah, that was was where I saw it, basically. So, uh, what about you? I didn't see it until probably high school, probably on a VHS tape. Okay. So that would have been early 80s as well. Uh, just, you know, just because of how old I was and when VHS tapes came and when they became available and mm. uh, things like that. But, yeah, I loved it for the first time I saw it. Scared the crap out of me. Read the book first. The book is equally as creepy as the movie. Yes, I've read it's, the book. Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of my favorites. Excellent. Okay, then. Well, 
let's delve into some of the people in this film then. Who should we start with? Let's deal with Linda Blair. Sure. Linda Blair as Reagan, who is the victim of Pazuzu the demon. What do you reckon of her in this? I thought she did a fantastic job for being, what, 12? I think it's 12 or 14 or something like that. Yeah, yeah. No, she did a great job. William Freakin, he put his cast through through the ringer, didn't he, so to speak? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, lot, lots of crazy stunts for people to do. <laughs> yeah. Furniture flying around. Although uh, I think she's she had quite a willing uh, stunt double for this film as well. Uh, probably. <laughs> pro- pro- probably. Uh, but yeah, yeah, no, I thought she did a great job. She really did. Yeah, but it's, it's not often, especially in horror films, you get a child actor who you can, uh, say sympathize with, who you can relate to, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, you know, I mean, whenever anyone says to me, you know, kid actors in horror films, and my mind immediately goes to Fulch's House by the Cemetery. The kid called Bob, who's the most annoying child actor ever. <laughs> you want him you want him to get mangled you cheering when he gets it or when he goes to get it <laughs> oh but uh yeah no linda yeah. Perrin, this is great uh when she becomes possessed reagan she is voiced by and i can never remember the woman's name it's mercedes mccambridge isn't it yes it is her name who she put herself through a lot of uh a lot of things to get that voice chain smoking and drinking and all sorts of things oh geez really yeah. wow have you not seen the documentary? No, no, I have not. Oh, it'll be on. It should be on your set. The Fear of God documentary. It probably is. I probably just didn't watch it. Oh no, watch that. Yeah, it's about an hour and a half long. It's a full-on documentary with everyone who was involved. Huh? Have you not got it? I got one called Talk of the Devil and Beyond Comprehension on this. Ah, no. Oh, all right. Because all I've got is the fortieth. Uh, I got the fortieth anniversary. It's on. It's on my fortieth anniversary disc. Well, yeah bloody brits well you know it's on youtube type in the fear of god exorcist documentary and it'll come up sweet yep so we got linda blair plays the possessed reagan we've got her mother played by ellen burstyn i've never really warmed to ellen burstyn as an actress i'll be honest she did great as the crazy mother but she did very oh she did very well in this but i don't know there's just something about i don't quite warm to in anything she's in not just this film okay i gotcha i'm sure she's very nice but you know Oh. So you've got Max von Sydow, who plays the titular exorcist, Father Merrin. Yes. Wearing um, some old age makeup, which now, ironically, is exactly what he looks like. <laughs> so they got that right. He's perfect for that role. Perfect for that role. Um, he's still playing those sort of roles now, really. So uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why not? Why not? We've got Lee J. Cobb as Kinderman, the detective. Yes. He's yes. good in this. Uh, his character will return in another future one but uh yep i like i like his interactions with jason miller as father Karras. yes uh jason miller himself is very good in this film yeah when he he's in the the fear of god documentary he comes across as almost comical jason miller really yeah it's in a good way but he's very quite he's quite loud and quite sort of you know everything with a sense of fun gotcha but you look at his performance in this film and he's quite dour and quite sort of dark and withdrawn throughout Absolutely. But, I mean, you know, his character, Father Karras, has uh, has lost his faith. His mother's died, you know, and then this this woman calls upon him to help with uh, her teenage daughter, who she thinks is possessed. So, uh, yeah, I like his character arc is my favorite in the in the film. Really? Yeah. He's the character I like the best. I kind of I kind of partial to uh, Father Baron. 
Oh, oh yes. They're the main. Oh, there's William O'Malley as Father Dyer, who uh, is Father Caris's friend, who gives him the last rites at the end. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, there's a bit you'll find this in the documentary where William Friedkin's talking about that scene. If you watch William O'Malley as he's doing the sign of the cross, his hands trembling. Yes, I remember. Yeah. Well, how they did that scene, do you, they couldn't quite get it. And apparently William Friedkin sort of stood in front of William O'Malley and said, right, do you trust me? He said, yeah, yeah, of course I do. And he said, right. Apparently, <laughs> William Friedkin slapped him across the face as hard as he could. And then he said, right, now, action, do the scene. <laughs> and so that's why he's trembling like that is because he was so fucking mad and shook up a bit, slapped across the face. <laughs> but it worked. Yes, it did. That's funny. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. Yeah, he's a good character. I quite like him as well. I suppose that's the main car- characters, really. You know, there is Jack McGowan plays Burke Dennings, who is a very a drunken friend of Ellen Burstyn's character. I don't like I don't because he you don't see him die. I don't place much significance on him. Right. Right. Even though his death is supposed to be a big plot point. And we also have uh, Kitty Wynn. She'll come back in the sequel. Oh, yes, she plays Sharon, who is... Is she just like a housekeeper or... Personal assistant Personal housekeeper. Assistant. Yeah, 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 kind of oh, like that. So yeah. that's, that's more of an American thing, isn't it? We don't have yeah, personal assistants. So. We have skivvies, <laughs> which is what I do for a living. So, yeah, so Possessed Girl, Father Merrin, Father Karras come in. They play... They do uh, all that, what do you call it, Roman Catholic, Om Nom Dom Sanctus, Barbarus, Hannah Barbera, Fred Flintstone stuff. Yes. What do you call it? I don't know. I've probably just offended a lot of people. And then we get some very famous... I, I hope you have. Oh, oh, I hope I have. It's been a while. I need to stir things up somewhere. Yeah, and we get some... Fa- we get Reagan levitating off the bed. We get her head spinning around, which is the only thing in the film which takes me out of it. Why is that? If somebody's head spins right round, right, it would split the skin. It would break the neck. Not if you're possessed by the devil or a devil. Well, you'd still have rips in the skin and her head would just fall off. No. And then when the devil's out no. of her. All right, let, let's follow this line through. And then. That's the point. When she's the devil's out of her, she'd have a broken neck. No. Yes. No. It's like a glove no. puppet head spinning. Of course you bloody would. No, she wouldn't. Of course you wouldn't. No. Go and grab not. someone and spin their head round. See what happens. Well, they'd have to be possessed by the devil first. What difference does that make? A body is a body. It would still bleed. It would still break. Well, yeah, but the devil, the, the healing thing. The healing thing. <laughs> oh, that, oh, the old classic healing thing. Yeah, exactly. No, bullshit. I forgive it. Ah, God. I forgive and still give it five stars. I don't care. Oh, I'm still giving it five pea soup milkshakes out of five. <laughs> yeah. 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 It, it, yeah, it's it's one of them films, isn't it? You know, it's a classic for a reason. It's so yes. well put together apart from the head spinning around bit which takes me out there we go the tone the mood the lighting the music the acting it it all came together that's it uh i absolutely love those little insert shots of the pazuzu face that you get that they just flash up subliminally every so often yeah yeah i love that that is still one of the creepiest images i think in the whole of cinema really yeah i love it i know loads of people on twitter use it as their like twitter profile picture Okay, all right, all right. Yeah, I just love that picture. Uh, it's recreated in one of the prequels absolutely abysmally, but we'll get there. <laughs> well. As are lots of things in the prequels. Y- yes. Yes. Yeah. But for the time being, The Exorcist, five out of five from me, five out of five from you. Done and dusted. Done and dusted. I think now we have some feedback. 
That is from our friend, Mr. Gore Blimey. Hi, Gore. Hi, Gore. Uh, he's got his own podcast coming out, The Trilogy of Terror. I know he does. I'm looking forward to that. He does demons on his first one. We know someone else who did that. Yes, we do. And uh, hopefully he likes it as much as we do. Oh, I don't think anyone can like it as much as I do. Well, the, relatively speaking, it's <laughs> all relative. Yeah. So let's play Gore's feedback and then uh, we'll get back to it. Hi, Chris and Myron. This is Gore Blimey on Twitter as at I am Gore Blimey. My earliest memory of The Exorcist is from school. I remember a big buzz of excitement at someone's dad having a copy of this, at the time, famously horrific film on video. A group of kids bunked off school one afternoon to watch it, several of them ending up completely terrified, particularly the ones from Catholic families. By the time I finally got to see it as a teenager, I have to admit I was a bit underwhelmed. After all that build-up, I braced myself for the scariest movie I'll ever see in my life, and I was probably expecting something very different. But years later, watching it again as an adult, and without the interference from all the hysterical, most frightening film ever hype, I just got it. I could appreciate the writing, the acting, the great photography, the special effects which, with the only exception of a couple of wires, are still pretty impressive and stand up well today. I mean, let's not forget, this film is over 40 years old. Rewatching it, I found it fascinating how the medical assessments are made as disturbing and scary as the bedroom sequences. I liked how possessed Reagan, sitting still and silently watching, is even more chilling than when she's in full demonic rant. And when things get to the actual exorcism, the film's money shot, it's masterfully directed and acted, and really intense. Even after all these years, the crucifix and vomit scenes still shock me, even though I know they're coming. But the odd thing is, despite being possibly the most famous horror film ever, it doesn't frighten me. At times I find it tense, creepy, disturbing and shocking, but not frightening. Maybe if I had more of a religious upbringing, it would scare me, like those Catholic kids who got freaked out by it at school. In fact, I don't think of it as a horror film, more of a supernatural thriller or a drama with horror elements. Either way, I do love it, and I can see why so many people are so passionate about it. And I appreciate the fear it gives them, but horror or not, I think it's an exceptionally well-made film, and one of the few that genuinely deserves to be called a classic. Right, thank you very much for that, Mr Gore. The best thing was is the, the point he made about even shots of Reagan alone are ultra creepy. Yes. I mean, I, it, the cinematography on the shots of her alone being possessed, they are ultra creepy. I mean, yeah. It is just creepy. I think I know the bit he's referring to is when, um, uh, is it Marin or Karras? One of them goes back into the room and she's curled up on the bed. Ah, it's when she's killed, uh, spoilers, she's killed um, Marin and Karras goes back in the room and she's just sat in the corner of the bed. Yes, yeah, yes. That is a really, the lighting and everything on that is excellent. She, so she's not doing anything, but it just, oh man, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Thanks, Gore. Excellent points. Excellent points. Always some excellent points from Mr. Gore. You always find something that we uh, we may miss. He always does. He always does. He really um, does. Before we move on, I'm going to read a little bit of feedback we've had from Steve Dinsmore, the chap who suggested we do this. Oh, please do. It's uh, very short. Again, he only really comments on the first one, so I'll just read it now. Okay, Steve says, It's the scariest movie of all time. I've never seen another that has made me reconsider that opinion. The way it builds throughout the whole movie and is imbued with evil is unique. I always say you can feel the cold in Reagan's bedroom. 
I'm pretty sure I've only seen the rest of the franchise once each, but my love of the original is more than enough, and the book is also a classic. And that's what he has to say. All right. He's absolutely right. Yes, you can. When the scenes in the bedroom where they're doing the exorcism, they were obviously refrigerated the room. You know, you can see their breath and everything. Oh, yeah. And that comes off the screen completely. Everything does. I mean, those scenes in the bedroom are just, they're some of the best in horror around. And I normally love a bedroom scene in a film, and this one goes above and beyond. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, yes. Right then. Should we move on? Let's do it. If we have to. Because it ain't going to get any better, I'll be honest. No, no, it's not. <laughs> no, uh, it's not. Let me just find it on here. Hang on. Exorcist The Heretic. The Heretic, 1977. Let's play a trailer. Four years ago, The Exorcist shocked the world. Now, the struggle between good and evil goes on. Exorcist 2. The Heretic. Exorcist 2, The Heretic, directed by John Borman and starring Richard Burton, Linda Blair, Louise Fletcher, Kitty Wynn, Max von Sydow, James L. Jones, Ned Beatty. And I think that's the main cast right there. I think so, too. So, little summary is, a girl once possessed by a demon find that it still lurks within her. Meanwhile, a priest investigates the death of the girl's exorcist. Ooh, Ooh that sounds like an interesting film. I'd like to see that. Yeah, it does sound interesting. Yeah. And on top of it, the director, John Borman, brought us classics like Deliverance and Excalibur. Deliverance is wonderful. One of my favorites. So it, Ned Beatty was in it, too. Yes. But on paper, this looks like it could be a home run. It is. And then you watch it. Yeah. Right. I'm going to give you a little bit of background on this film or on my watching of this film. I've watched this three times in my life. I watched it a few days ago for this podcast. I watched it about three or four years ago when I bought the box set on DVD. But the first time I watched it was in the 80s. Like I said to you, I'd seen that clip video with bits from The Exorcist in. Sure. Yeah. And then in the late 80s, uh, there was a series on BBC Two called Videodrome, which yes. the film director, Alex Cox, would introduce a film, like a cult film. 
uh, and they showed all sorts of things on there. I mean, Terminator was on there, uh, the original version of The Fly, and they usually tried to tie it in with something that was released at that time. Okay. Like they showed the original Fly not long after the Cronenberg Fly came out and all that sort of stuff. And Exorcist 2 was on there. And I remember looking in the newspaper, looking at the, the TV listings. Oh, shit, there's a second one. Bloody hell. Brilliant. So I said to my dad, can you tape Exorcist 2 for me tonight, please? Because it was on late. And he, I remember my dad saying, oh, it's not very good, that. And he says, Richard Burton in it and lots of locusts. That's all I remember. <laughs> he said, yeah, it's not very good. And I said, well, tape it anyway, because I want to watch it. Bear in mind, I was probably about uh, 11, 12, something like that. Sure, sure. And I came down the next morning and my dad had left the tape on the side and I put it in and I watched it and... You know, as an 11, 12 year old, I thought this is just bollocks. There's nothing happening. And that's pretty much how I thought of it last week when I watched it. Yep. I thought it was bollocks in 1988 or 89, whenever it was. I thought it was bollocks in 2012. And I still think it's bollocks now. I don't even remember when I saw it, but I remember seeing it um, at some point. And then it didn't stick with me. I never, you know, never gave it another thought. Then Steve suggested The Exorcist. Oh, I got to watch that heretic one again. Watch it again and realized why I just didn't care for it. (laughs) It just, it, it could have been good. (laughs) Trouble is, if you read up on the history of this film and you hear about what, how John Borman approached it and John Borman was approached to make the first one and he didn't, he turned it down and it went to William Friedkin and we got the film that we got. Right. Borman came to this one and straight away he said something along the lines of, well, I watched the first Exodus and thought it was a bit, they went too far down the horror route. What? Yeah. And you sort of think, oh, okay. Oh, boy. And I always (laughs) I always remember years ago when I I read an interview with um, Derek Green from Sepultura, the singer. Yes. And somebody was asking about how he feels about stepping into the shoes of Max Cavalera and all that stuff. And I remember his comment was, I always liked Sepultura, but I never thought they realised their full potential. I think, what? <laughs> Chaos and <laughs> Root, so they didn't realise their full potential. What have you... Oh. And that's what I think of when I think of Exorcist 2 and John Borman. You think, this is someone who's missing the fucking point. Yes, yeah. And you can tell in the movie that he missed the point. Hmm. We've got, you know, Linda Blair returning. She's obviously doesn't know what's going on. Has she hit the drink and drugs by this point? I don't know. No. Somebody had on this film. Well, Richard Burton was pissed all the way through. You could tell that. (laughs) I don't know why I look at him in this film. and I think he looks like Ian Gillen from Deep Purple. (laughs) It's because he does. Yeah, Linda Blair is playing back as Reagan. Um, She seems to be getting along fine until Richard Burton turns up as Father Lamont, who is investigating the death of Max von Sydow's character in the first film. How about that hypnotic sinking machine? Oh, isn't that cutting-edge technology? Staring at the light and they can read each other's <laughs> dreams and thoughts. And Oh, no, this isn't going to bring the demon back out, is it? Oh, what a... jeez. Oh, it's got Louise Fletcher in it, and I quite like Louise Fletcher. I must admit, I've got a little bit of a crush on Louise Fletcher. Well, not now, but obviously she was back then. <laughs> did you see some of the pantsuits she was wearing? No wonder you had a crush on her. Yes. Yes. I I prefer her to Ellen Burstyn, I must say. Yes. Yes. I don't know. I think she's the only sort of good thing in this film, really. James L. Jones appears as Kokomo, which I thought was a song by the Beach Boys, but apparently... It's a Beach Boys song. Yeah. So, down in Kokomo, Bermuda, Bermuda. Yeah. All that shit. <laughs> Shut up. All right. I'm going to have that stupid song in my head. 
That's on the cocktail soundtrack. Oh, oh, God, that movie. Oh, my God. There's not enough. If ever there was a film with absolutely no story, worse, well, oh, yeah, worse than this one. That could go on every bad and ugly list from here till doomsday. But yet I still watch it when it's on telly. Why is that? I have no idea. Are you? I, I oh, God. I know. But this, what is the plot of Cocktail? There's nothing. Tom Cruise runs a bar and then gets dumped. Oh, I'd yeah. sooner want to admit that I watched uh, Love Actually, so. Oh, fuck off. Cocktail. <laughs> yeah, James L. Jones appears as Kokomo. He was a young boy who was possessed by Pazuzu and Father Mer- uh, yeah, Father Merrin cast him out. And then as an older man, he's become a doctor and he's seemingly forgotten that he was possessed. Uh, that's about it, really. That doesn't play into anything else. Ah, but it it, it does, because they have to set up the locust-stopping scene. Oh, we've got locust cam on here, haven't we? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there's Because remember, he talks about the the brushing of the legs and how to to stop locust mob behavior by the... I don't know. Yeah, yeah. demons Demons and locusts are very similar in the way they operate, obviously. Yeah. There's some sort of metaphor to be drawn from that. I still don't know what... Uh, oh, what else was I going to mention? Uh, it's just a mess. It's an absolute mess. It's, it's someone who's watched The Exorcist and gone, oh, oh, I can do better than that. What we'll do, we'll take out the uh, crucifix masturbation scene. We'll take out the vomiting on people, the head spinning round, and uh, we'll just replace it with fuck all. Yeah, yeah, and we won't go too hoary. No, no, no. We're going to explore the uh, effects of evil on the mind. No, just give me some green vomit. With a sinking machine. With a sinking machine. And what else gets me, right? In this film, there's a scene where the taxi crashes into Reagan's old house. Yeah? Yes. In that street, it's a quiet little residential street in Washington. Yeah? Yeah. If you look around at the other houses, there's lights on in them houses. Not one fucker comes out to see what's gone on. No, because they can't hear it because the devil has silenced the area. Oh, is that like the devil who doesn't break people's necks when he spins their head round? Well, yeah, because, I mean... So we can, ex- after- we can excuse that in the first film, then. <laughs> we got the whole house crumbling down. Nobody hears a thing until after everybody's out, then, oh, yeah, everybody shows up. So, obviously, it was a... If a house across the street, which is probably about 25 feet away, gets demolished, you hear it, and you go out and see what's going on. No one yes, comes out. Yes, you do. There's lightning, there's rain, there's people screaming and shouting, and there's all sorts going on. Not one bastard comes out until the very end. Right, right. When there's nothing th- happening. And I think you hit the nail on the head. Is I'm willing to forgive that in the first one because it is so good. In this one, it just adds to the complete mess of the movie. Yeah, it is. I mean, this is universally on any list down as one of the worst sequels of all time. I've seen it on lists where it's usually in the top three of worst films of all time. I don't know if I'll go that far. No, we've seen a lot worse. We've seen a lot worse. You know, we've trawled the depths of all sorts of grindhouse tripe. Yeah. But, Trust me, I'd rather watch this than hypothermia any day. And I think the main problem with this is if the first Exorcist film didn't exist or didn't exist in the form that it is in, then maybe there'd be a bit more merit to this. But the fact is you're going up against what is considered the greatest horror film of all time. Exactly. You know, where is there to go except down? You do this. You do this. So in some ways, I would say this is the worst of the whole series. But well, let, let, let's not get carried away. Let's not get carried away, because in other ways, it's not. In other ways, there are worse films than this. Yes. And we'll get there at the end when we sum up. But yes. um, 
it's a terrible film. My dad was right back in the 80s. It is terrible. It's Locust and Richard Burton being pissed. And that's about it. As far as a score goes, I don't know. What did I give it on Letterbox? Hang on. I gave it 1.5. I think that's what I gave it. Because there were some good moments. Was there? Well, yeah. That must I, I be like... a special edition I haven't seen. No, I like the James Earl Jones moments. I like some of the Linda Blair moments. I could do without Richard Burton. I like some of the Louise Fletcher moments. Oh, Louise Fletcher moments. <laughs> I'm having a Louise Fletcher moment right now. Do I need to give you 30 seconds? I don't need that long. <laughs> the only scene in this I actually really like is when they first use that weird machine. Yes. And you've got that superimposed image of Reagan in her bed as possessed Reagan, and she's reaching out to that Father Merrin. I like that scene. That's the scene I always remember from when I saw it the first time. It's clearly not Linda Blair. It's clearly her stunt double. Correct. With a wig on. But I just like that scene. And they obviously couldn't get Mercedes McCambridge back to do the voice. So they got one of the Muppets to do it. Frank Oz, I think it was. Hey, Father Merrin! Oh, and there's a lot of locusts. A lot of locusts, a lot of metaphor, a lot of buildings falling down, nobody coming to see what's happening. A lot of Richard Burton just completely not knowing what he's doing. Nor really caring. Nor really caring. It was a paycheck for him. It's got to be. Yeah. One and a half. One and a half pea soup milkshakes from me. (laughs) I've got some feedback on Exorcist 2 from our friend Daniel Budnick. Oh, very good. Yes. Dan's over at uh, Made for TV Mayhem podcast. He is indeed. And I'll read this out because he may shed a little bit of a different opinion on it than we did. Here we go. John Borman is nutty. We all know that. And there's something about Exorcist 2, the heretic, that is the ultimate nutty. The Exorcist was iconic, was popular, was a pop culture explosion. And part of the fun was that the explanation for it all was left slightly vague. It's a demon. It's evil. There you go. But then Borman came along and tried to explain it. He was assisted by Richard Burton at his scene-chewing greatest and Linda Blair tap-dancing her heart out. I love her in roller boogie legs. (laughs) And Borman began to explain the demon, and the world laughed at him. Oh, sure, the world laughed at that giant head-vomiting gun in Zardoz, too, but that was a different time. Oh, yes, he did Zardoz, didn't he? Have you seen that? No, I haven't. Sean Connery in a giant red nappy. Fucking horrible film. (laughs) Oh, I had to review it recently. Oh. Anyway, he, he carries on. I don't envy Borman trying to explain what should have remained unexplained. Look at Evil Dead 2. Instead of explaining, they just did the movie over again. But then look back at 2010. They tried to explain what possibly should have been left alone. It's in the explaining that the absurdities rise up. It's also with these absurdities where I join in on the love. They released Exorcist 2 on DVD the same day they released Irwin Allen's The Swarm in the US. I bought both of them. Watched them both and loved them. Big, absurd, overreaching films. But Exorcist 2, unlike The Swarm, has an intelligence behind it. Has the feel of someone smart trying to work something unintelligible into something intelligible and failing. But sometimes I would rather watch a grand failure than a film which casually succeeds. Reach for the stars and come back with a handful of junk and I'm your supporter. So Exorcist 2, in all its nonsense and folder... I can't remember. Folder Al? Does that mean something? Falderall. Falderall. Is that an American colloquialism? Yeah, like nonsense and goofiness. Okay, I've never heard that. Okay. In all its nonsense and Falderall, remember that the Golden Turkey Awards named it the second worst film of all time. Succeeds because it tries and doesn't succeed. Its reach far overreaches its grasp, and in that overreach, I am comfortable and I'm interested and I enjoy. 
On another note, Exorcist 3 is awesome and has at least one scare that will leave you shaking on your couch. That movie speaks for itself. Thank you, Daniel. He's really got a positive outlook about this one. I know where he's coming from. And I think in a roundabout sort of way, he's saying it's so bad, it's good. I know what he means. Sometimes it is better to watch a film that succeed, uh, that fails on a huge scale rather than something that you just think is meh. It's all right. Yeah. 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 I, I actually can, I can, I'd rather see somebody trying than just lazy filming. And I think that sort of ties into what I said. It's not the worst of the series in some ways, but in other ways it is. In the way that I think it's the worst of the series is it's following straight after the first film. Yes. And that, that lets it down. Yeah. And I never thought about it like that, but he's Dan's dead on money. It, yeah. The first one didn't need any explanation. No, that's it. And the second one, they tried to explain it and just went down the wrong rabbit hole. That's it. I mean, I'll tap into that again on, on our summing up. But, yeah, he's, he's bang on the money there. Yep. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you, Daniel. Cheers, Dan. And he also notes at the bottom that Exorcist 3 is awesome. So why don't we move on to that piece of awesomeness? Let's do that. Let's do 1990. that. 1990, directed by William Peter Blatty, based on his novel Legion, starring George C. Scott, Brad Dourif, Jason Miller, Ed Flanders, isn't he in The Simpsons? Uh, Nancy Fish, John Gordon, Nicole Williamson, and Ken Lerner. Yes, a police lieutenant uncovers more than he bargained for as his investigation of a series of murders, which have all the hallmarks of the deceased, deceased Gemini serial killer. Lead him to question the patience of a psychiatric ward, like you said, based on the novel written by Blatty called Legion. Have you read it? No. Ah, okay. I read it years ago when this film came out. Oh, okay. Okay. Don't remember much about it, to be honest. Right then. This came out in 1990. I saw this on video when it came out. I rented it or my mum rented it for me because I was only about 13. Yeah, it's a weird one, this. It is, but it's funny because George C. Scott plays 
just as sour of a character as Richard Burton does in the previous one. But here it works a little better. <laughs> yeah. Well, George C. Scott plays Lieutenant Kinderman, who was played by Lee J. Cobb in the first film. Correct. So I suppose on that sense, he's got a little bit he can base his performance on in terms of character. Right, right. Yeah, he's great in this, George C. Scott. I really like him as Kinderman. He's, you know, he's an old detective, been to the ends of the earth and back. And then he gets thrown into this case with the Gemini killer. We've got a father dire, this time played by Ed Flanders, rather than William O'Malley, who has a rather significant role in the first part of the film. Yes, he does. But the most intriguing part of this film is we have Patient X, played by Jason Miller. Jason Miller. Who played Father Karras in the first film. The first one, yes. And we also have Brad Dourif as the Gemini killer. And they do look quite similar in this film, don't they? They do. They really do. You almost can't keep track of who's doing what. You can't because it's almost as if they're in the same scene playing the same character. Yes. Which they are, technically. Well, yeah, but not at the same time. Right, I'm going to make myself sound a bit silly here. I I like this film. I'm going to say now. I do like this film. And I think if you're going to watch any Exorcist sequel, this is the one to go for. But what's it actually about? Didn't you watch the movie? Yeah. It's about that Pazuzu fellow possessing the Gemini serial killer. Oh. healing his neck, by the way. Yeah. No, 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 not possessing. I'm sorry. It's about possess healing Damien Karras' neck. See, we got this neck healing thing going on. And he lets the spirit of the Gemini killer inhabit the body of Father Damien Karras. See, the reason I ask is because <laughs> this film follows the book fairly closely. Okay. Up until the final act. And then we get a possessions scene an exorcism scene well it's an exorcist movie they have to do one mm, but it's not in the book really mm. there was no ex exorcism scene in the book well i wonder what led mr blatty to put it in the in the screenplay well it wasn't william peter blatty who put it in <laughs> it was the uh, studios uh, all done at the studio's request <sighs> basically it, like you just you just said it it's an exorcist film where's the exorcism yeah and to me I watch this film and I enjoy this film and I, every time I watched it at the end of it, I still don't really quite know what's just happened. And I don't know whether it's just me or I, I never come up. I mean, everything you've just told me, I, I get, but I still don't come away from the film and say, so is the Gemini killer alive or dead or what? Is, 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 is Father Karras still in alive? Was he, did he die? What happened? <laughs> well, it took him 15 years to heal his neck and rebuild his brain. From oh, a, simple a bit like the $6 million man. Yeah, exactly. Oh. But he does utter the one line, finish me. So he, you know, pulls out his 38 or 44 and puts a big old hole in it that not even Satan can. Hit. Yeah, I got that bit. Yeah, yeah. Apparently. So hmm. the Gemini killer goes back to the void. Father Karras goes to heaven, presumably. Yeah. Happily ever after, done and dusted. In one of those nice dream shots where everyone's wearing white. So. Reminded me of uh, Bill and Ted. <laughs> Oh, those angel wings were the worst. Yeah. Oh, my God almighty. I'm thinking, what are you doing? Because this is a film that I think, like I've always said, The Exorcist didn't need a sequel. No. It didn't need explaining. It should have just nope. been one film on its own. Out of all the other films, this is the only one I would say, if you're going to watch another one, watch this one. But I still don't think it's very coherent. It it does jump around quite a bit. Yeah. You have it's not one you can have on in the background to be expected to follow. No, you've got to sit and pay attention to it. You do. You which really I've do. done lots of times and I still don't quite get it. <laughs> yeah, 
You have to suspend a lot of belief. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and there it is. There it is. Basically, Kinderman is investigating the Gemini killer, and which leads him into a cell with Patient X, who claims that. Oh fuck me! I've lost my train of thought now. So does the movie. It's okay. Yeah. See, that's it. I just I I can't explain this film to myself. So I can't sit here and explain it to other people. It's it's an odd one. But yeah, it's strangely watchable. And it's strangely good. And it is strangely good, even though there's no real obvious conclusion. It, and I think it's interesting because you watch the interaction between Flanders and Scott, which is very good. You watch the interaction between Scott and Nancy Fish, which is very good. Mm. You know, those are the good bits that get you hooked in. Yes. They could have edited out some of the monologue in the cell. It could have made it shorter, and I wish yeah. they would have. Yes. You know, whether it was Jason or, you know, Scott Wilson doing it. I mean, Br- um, Brad, Brad, Brad Dourif, sorry. If they'd edited out some of that, it would have helped the pacing. Yes. Movie pace is great through the exterior scenes, but when you're in these monologue type stuff, it, it gets like, I'm like, oh, really? Oh, no. You know. And I get the feeling that through all these monologues, they're trying to get to something quite profound and quite deep. But the way that the film is made, you know, the fact that it, for all intents and purposes, it's a mainstream film that you've got to put in the exorcism. You've got to put in this, that and the other. Yeah. That it never really comes out. No, no. And I think you're right. I think they were trying to get to something profound. And no. Yeah. And, and it's in there. I think if yeah, if Blatty was allowed to make the film he wanted to make, I think it would have been a lot more satisfying. I think so, too. So how did the book end? I can't remember. 25 years since I read it. Oh, well. I can't remember what I can't remember from the film which I watched three nights ago. <laughs> I can remember that. Bloody hell. Oh. Yeah. But as our friend Daniel alluded to, this film does have one of the best jump scares ever. And I was trying to think which one was it? <laughs> it's the nurse with the shears. The nurse with the shears at the end. When she's walking across the corridor, she goes into that room and the yeah. camera just stays still. Down the corridor, and she walks back out. And as she walks across the corridor, a headless character behind her with some shears raised up. Oh God, yes, 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 yes. And I've just spoiled that for everybody, but there you go. If you haven't seen it by now, tough shit. Yeah, but this is—I I like this movie. I like it. It's weird. It's, you can sit down and you can watch it and enjoy it, but yeah. I still ain't got a fucking clue what happened. <laughs> it's like that sometimes. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's the trouble with. A lot of these exorcist films and even a lot of other possession films in general, it's like, give us the spinning head, give us the vomit, give us the let Jesus fuck you scene, give us, give us the stuff that you think is lowest common denominator, but is actually the stuff we enjoyed the most from the first fucking film. Yep. But we don't get it. <laughs> the minute you try and get deep and philosophical, you've gone down the wrong rabbit hole. Yeah. And that you can do deep and philosophical. And I think Blatty was trying to do that here. And I just think it doesn't quite work. I like the no. film. I just don't think it quite works in, from what Blatty was trying to do. I think you're right. That said, I still gave it three and a half P vomit milkshakes out of five. That's hilarious because that's the exact same score I wrote down uh, about two hours ago. Mm. Because George C. Scott is wonderful in this. Brad Dourif and Jason Miller are both great. Ed Flanders is great. Ed Flanders is good. And so there's a few good jump scares. There's a couple of good uh, horror moments. It just becomes a bit of a confused mess by the end. Yeah. And I really enjoyed Nancy Fish's. She really played her character spot on. She's the nurse, isn't she? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Nurse Ratchet. 
Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we both agreed on that one. Three and a half. Yeah, yep. Wonderful, wonderful. So which one do you want to do next? Oh, God. You well, want to do, do chronological or... I'll tell you what, what I'll do, do want... now. I'm going to read a little bit of feedback. The last bit we've had from our friend Amanda. All right. Over at Made for TV Mayhem because she touches on Exorcist 3. Sounds good. Tellingly, none of our feedback uh, referred to Dominion or the beginning. I wonder why. Me too. Anyway, this is from Amanda. Hi, guys. I did not see the original Exorcist film until I was in my early 20s when my sister and I rented it on a whim. It had already been around for quite some time and, of course, had an incredible reputation. I was a bit surprised that I didn't find it all that exceptional. Take that with a grain of salt. I do think it's a work of art and I understand the respect for it, but for whatever reason, it didn't really work for me. Part of that may stem from my lack of experience with Christianity. Even though I was raised a Christian, it wasn't much of a topic in our house. Or maybe I went in with the wrong expectations. Either way, it's one of those movies I missed the boat on. That said, I saw Exorcist 3 not long afterwards and loved it. It's super surreal. And then she's put in brackets, hey, isn't that Fabio dressed as an angel? Yes. I think yes, 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 yes. I don't know was. why that's in there. And oh my God, I laughed so hard when I saw Fabio. I'm like, oh, Jesus. I couldn't remember his name. Yeah, I knew who he was. Yeah, I just couldn't yeah, remember his yeah. name. Yeah. <laughs> and it stars one of my favourite actors, George C. Scott. I actually know Scott best for his horror and more salacious work. Hardcore is awesome. And he's a major powerhouse, especially when he's tangling with Grey inside Good and Evil. I thought he was an amazing replacement for Lee Jacob. I know they tacked on the actual Exorcist footage, but I really have no complaints about the film at all. Yeah, I don't actually think Blatty directed that Exorcist scene. I'm sure somebody else did, going from my own knowledge. She continues... Strangely, I guess the Exorcist movies are a family affair, as I saw this with my mum on yet another whim when it came on TV one night. The infamous nurse in the hall scene really rattled us, and I remember curling up on the couch with her in terror. I've seen Exorcist 3 a few times since then, and it still gets to me. I've only seen parts of Exorcist 2, but I will say my old roommate used to watch it whenever it came on our local Spanish station. He was hypnotised by the dubbing and giant locusts. I miss him. (laughs) says i'm looking forward to your discussion on these films although i'm not a huge fan of the original i do appreciate the complex discussions and feelings it brings up in audiences take care amanda so there you go she's not that keen on the first one but loves the third one but loves the third one there you go i suppose you know these films they've hit us all at different times in our lives as well i think that that counts for something as well exactly exactly it's got a lot to do with it you know yeah uh she noted that George C. Scott was an amazing replacement for Lee J. Cobb. I think that's pretty bang on as well. Yep, yep. I like both actors in the role. I don't know if Lee J. Cobb would have done quite as well in Exorcist 3, but there we go. I don't think George C. Scott would have fitted in the first film. So No, probably not. Probably not. Probably not. Brilliant. Thanks, Amanda. Thank you, Amanda, as always. Right. The next two, are we going to do them in the order they were made or the order they came out? Your pick. Okay. Let's get into Exorcist The Beginning. All right. I'll play a clip. Mother, what's wrong with me? What an excellent day for an exorcism. Father Merrin. How do you know my name? I 
was sent here to search for the origin of a powerful evil. This place, it's cursed. You ever seen anything like it? It's a church. Churches were built to exalt heaven. But this, the weapons are pointing downward. The Beginning from 2004, directed by Rennie Harlin. Yeah. Oh, yes. Starring Stellan Skarsgård, Isabella Skorupko, James Darcy, Julian Wadham, Ralph Brown, Ben Cross, and those are the people that I know. Years before Father Lancaster Marin helped save Reagan McNeil's soul, he first encountered the demon Pazuzu, East Africa. This is the tale of Father Marin's initial battle with Pazuzu and the rediscovery of his faith. Of course it is. Absolutely. <laughs> right. Do you know the history of this film and the other film that we're going to talk about? Well, I, I, barely. I mean, I know they made this one first. No, no, they didn't. They made the other one first. Did they make the other one first? Dominion was made first. And they didn't like the movie, so they reshot it. Yeah. <laughs> Dominion was made by Paul Schrader. Yes. Uh, it was then shelved by Warner Brothers because they didn't think it would do any business. And then they called in Rennie Harlin to reshoot the film under the title Exorcist the Beginning. Bring back Stellan Skarsgård and a few other actors from Dominion. And they used the same sets and they shuffled a few scenes around. And this is what we got. And then yep. once this came out and everyone went, oh, this is crap, they released Dominion. And I think, ironically, Dominion did a little better. <laughs> I think I think I read that too. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so it's basically we've got two films which are the same film but made by different directors. Yes. And this is Rennie Harlan, who is known for his, shall we say, more mainstream take on things. He did uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 4 and Cliffhanger and Die Hard 2. So, you know, he's done the big action movies and the big horror sequels. Yep. Surely he's a safe pair of hands for this. You know, I liked the mythology. I was intrigued by the story, but I don't know where it went wrong. But somewhere it came off the rails and just went, oh, dear Lord, what has happened? <laughs> I don't know where it happened. I, I love the mythology. I love how he tried to weave it in and all that kind of stuff. And it was really good. But somewhere it just it. it just ran afoul of itself and i don't i don't know where but always the feeling i end up when i'm done watching this is yeah i kind of liked it but god it was a mess i guess it's like you with exorcist 3 
Yeah, the difference is Exorcist 3, you could see what they were going for. Yes. In this film, you can see what they're going for, but what they're going for was done by William Friedkin in 1973 and done a lot fucking better. Yes. Well, they're trying to do what number two did a little bit better. They're they're trying to do what number two did by exploring the deeper elements of faith. And in the beginning, more the mythology of it. Yes. But also, somewhere along the line, you've got the, don't forget, this is an exorcist film. We need to have somebody possessed with possessed makeup on, and we need them to swear and say things like, shove your cock up your ass," <laughs> And we need to recycle some lines from that first film as well to get people to remember. So yes. people people remember the greatest horror film of all time. You know? Yes, yes, yes. It's just, I don't know. I like Stellan Skarsgård. I think he's he did, great. He did great. He did brilliant. This, I mean, especially when you think this is the second time he's had to do this film. <laughs> <laughs> the patience of the man must be legendary. No, he's very good. And I, I believe that he was the younger Max von Sydow from the first film. Yes. I did think he, he did that well. The only other thing I like about this film is the scene near the end when he's underground in the caverns with the possessed woman. Isabella. Isabella. And, yes. and I'll tell you why I like this scene. I don't like it because of her makeup, because they've obviously looked at Reagan's makeup in 1973 and gone, oh yeah, we can do that. And they've just powdered her face up and put some red yes. marks on it. It looks crap. It's too clear. You can see everything. It doesn't look like flesh. But I just like that scene. There's a shot where there's a long dark tunnel and Stan Skarsgård is at one end and you can just see the possessed Isabella running towards him. And you, all you can see is her outline. And I just love yes. that. I love that shot. I think that's fantastic. It's a great shot. Yep. Yep. It is a great shot. And if only he could have, Renny Harlan could have built on that. Give us something that's creepy. Give us something that's menacing. Give us something that is frightening because it's there in that shot. But then as soon as her face appears and you see that shit makeup and the stupid voice and the recycling of lines from the first film, you just think, no, it's, this has been done. This was done in 1973. So why do it now? Badly. In Exorcist 2, it gives us all this history about Kokomo, the young boy who was possessed by Pazuzu. Where's all that in here? <laughs> it's a prequel. It's a prequel to the prequel. You put in Father Merrin back in Africa. Or oh, I say back in Africa. He's in Africa, which is what Exorcist 2 told us, that he originally yep. was in Africa. But yet it doesn't refer to Kokomo or anything that he did in that film. Nope. Not a bit. Why? Why not? Give us that story. Give us that story. I was really intrigued by the actual story and concept, which is why I liked it, but it's just, it's not that great. It's just not. I just, I understand why they went for a director like Rennie Harlan after look, after you watch Dominion, Dominion plays more to Exorcist 2. That let's, let's step away from the horror and let's look at the, let's go into the deeper meaning of good and evil. Right, right. And they obviously one of them gone, no, 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 that's not what people want. Let's get in Rennie Harlan and he'll just give us what we want and blow it up to extremes. Right. Which he sort of does, but it still doesn't work. There's a balance with the Exorcist films. You need to get the creepy and the philosophical. They didn't. No, only one film in this, only one film in this series has done that. Exactly. Uh, I don't know. I gave this one and a half. I, believe it or not, I gave this one two. Ooh. I did, because I really liked the story. I really liked the concept of it. But they just missed the boat. It came off the rails somewhere. 
And that, the first one, the Dominion one, holy jamoles, that never was on the rail. Oh, okay. Well, this is going to be interesting then. Oh, God. Okay, well, what, with that thought in mind then... Let's play a clip. Let's play a clip from Dominion. Are you comfortable, Reagan? Yes. How old are you? Twelve. Is there someone inside you? If I ask him to tell me, will you let him answer? In time. Right then, Dominion, prequel to The Exorcist, 2005, directed by Paul Schrader, starring Stellan Skarsgård, Gabriel Mann, Billy Crawford, Ralph Brown, Andrew French, Julian Wadham, and some other people I don't know. Have you got a synopsis for this, or are you just going to repeat the last one? Same one. I mean, it's the same thing. It's the same film, yeah. It's Father Merrin in Africa. Becoming an exorcist again, yeah. Yes. This film is not a horror film as such. Paul Schrader didn't play the horror element the same as John Borman didn't in Exorcist 2. I think this succeeds a little bit better than Exorcist 2 in getting to the root of that evil. Really? I think it does. Oh, dear Lord, I fell asleep halfway through this one. I had to wake up and finish it. Ah, see, I think this is better of the two. No. Oh, man, no. This one just, it was so slow. It was so, oh, dear God, no. You know, it was just, ugh, no. (laughs) I still think think it's a pointless film. Yes. It serves no purpose than to milk the Exorcist name, as all the sequels did. But I think... It's slightly more interesting than Exorcist the Beginning. What? You're okay with the floating dude at the end? Oh, no, that's like, shit. Fl- floats in front of that thing, and they have the whole Baphomet image there. I mean, he's floating. He's, he's yeah, but floating then, like, but you then know, you, the last airbender. Yeah, but then you were okay with the head spinning around and the neck not breaking. Yeah, of course. <laughs> there you go. This is just This is just beyond stupid yeah i mean yeah i'm not saying this is a great film by any great shakes don't get me wrong i don't think this is very good i just think if you were to put the two films in front of me depending on what mood i'm in i'd probably rather watch this one i think it's really i think really i think it's a better production i think it looks better i think the atmosphere is closer to that you know the opening scenes in iraq in the first film yes i think it's closer to that and it gives you little snippets of exorcist related things without shoving them in your face which i think is what exorcist at the beginning did wrong i mean exorcist at the beginning just gives you lines straight out the first film um it doesn't come across as cheesy like exorcist the beginning did apart from the floating bit at the end where he's got red eyes and that's a bit shit yeah oh yeah it, it, that, that's the only problem <laughs> no no it's it, funny because i am i am abs- I, I, everything you said i think that's what exorcist the beginning does better than dominion yeah I mean, I think they're both crap, let's be honest. Uh, it, they're not very good. Uh, yeah. 
I think if you were to take the best bits of both films and put them together, you might have something. You, you might. You might. You might. I don't think you'll have anything that goes above a two and a half. Probably not, unless they did some serious story rework. Yeah, exactly. You don't want to be bold enough to possibly take out an exorcism. Hmm. It's strange. It's 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 one of those weird sort of experiment things, isn't it? That uh, you see every once in a while with that a film studio does. Yes. You know, one film made by two different directors. One's a more arty. One's more, shall we say, popcorny. Neither of them work. Uh, Stellan Skarsgård is great in it. I think he's pro- absolutely. Yeah, I'd I'd like to know if he actually questioned what some of this was all about, because yeah, it does. Especially towards the end, you get him that bald guy with the red eyes and the shit CGI hyenas and all that crap. Uh, yeah, don't need any what, of that. What I gotta imagine is what he was thinking when they called him back and said we need to refilm this whole movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what you mean? I gotta go to East Africa again? <laughs> Oh no, we'll CGI that bit in, don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's an odd one. Um, you bravely watched them both back to back, didn't you? I did. Yeah. I did. You'll never get that evening back, you know. I know. I, I spread mine over two evenings. But I got a nap in between. Oh, you know, I, I mean, I got a nap during Dominion. I, I was good. <laughs> They're both good for that, if you want to have a little bit of a sleep. Yeah, yeah. So what do you rate these? Well, I said I went one and a half on Exorcist the beginning. I gave Dominion two. Wow. I went one on Dominion and two on the beginning. Okay. Well, we're in the same ballpark, I think. Yeah. What worked for me didn't quite work for you and vice versa. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, I will be an apologist for movies that have like angels and stuff in them. Okay. Uh, fighting, you know, and doing the, the Legion, you know, the movie Legion kind of thing. Yeah. I'm a total apologist for that movie. I love that movie. Most people think it's crap. That's I still love it. It is. It is crap. But I still love it. Yeah. These films were crap and I didn't love them. <laughs> there we go. That's the Exorcist series done and dusted. Should we order them? Let's do it. Let's do it. I think the first place one is a no brainer. It is. The first film, The Exorcist. Correct. It, it's a classic. It I is. Mean, oh, my God. It's a classic. It is. Right. Second best Exorcist three. Yep. We're complete agreement there. Here's where we're going to have trouble. <laughs> Yes. Now, you see, I'm having a conflict now. Why is that? Well, because if you took it purely on a star rating, I gave Exorcist 2, one and a half, and yes. Dominion 2. Yes. But if you were to present both films to me and said watch one now, I would probably watch Exorcist 2. All right. Because I think it does have that so bad it's good thing about it. Okay. And I think Dominion... I rated higher purely on a technical level because I think it is a very nice looking film. Okay. Okay. And, it's, and it sets an atmosphere. But I think my third place is going to have to be Exorcist 2. You know what my third place is? Go on then. The beginning. I thought you would. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. My fourth one is Dominion. Wow. My fourth one is Exorcist 2. Okay. And then last place for me is The Beginning. Yeah, and mine is Dominion. I never want to see that movie again. No, I mean, to be fair, I'll probably never, ever watch the prequels again. I'll probably never watch Exorcist 2 again, unless it's for research. I probably wouldn't even bother. Yeah, exactly. And to be fair, I agree. Yeah, I've I've said it all the way through. I'll say it again now. The Exorcist didn't need sequels. It didn't need prequels. It was what it was, a perfectly encapsulated little story. Um, if you watch it and you like it and you want more Exorcist, watch Exorcist 3. Yeah. Don't bother with any of the others. Absolutely. 
So give me some context because you've got a good memory for this stuff. When did Friday the 13th Part 2 and Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2 come out? Friday the 13th 2 was 1981. Nightmare on Elm Street 2 was 1985. Okay. Why? I'm just curious trying to figure out if it's 77, if they had a great sequel to something and they just uh, wanted to climb on the bandwagon. So 77? Yeah. Great sequels from 77? Yeah. Well, great sequels in the 70s. Jaws 2? Was that 77, 78? I don't remember. It's a good sequel, then. Amityville 2 was 82. Nope, it was in 78, Jaws 2. Yeah, huh. it was around then. All right. Why, 70, why 77 specifically? Because that's when Exorcist 2 came out. Ah, right, I see. Omen 2 was 78. Uh, nothing else springs to mind, I'll be honest. Huh, okay. I'm sure if I looked further into it, I could find something, but... Yeah, I'm trying to make an excuse for it, but I can't. <laughs> well, it, it's pre-Halloween and pre-Friday the 13th, isn't it? So, I mean, you're, yes. not, you're not into the sequel territory yet. If a sequel did come out to a film, it was generally uh, not just a quickly thrown out crappy sequel, was it? It was generally more thought out, but he says that contradicts yeah. everything I've just said. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. No, no, I, I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah, it's weird one. I mean, Exorcist 2, it is crap, but there are reasons to like it mm-hmm. because it's so crap. And I think Dominion and the beginning, they are crap. Say so Dominion is a very well put together film, but. And I'll flip flop and say I think the uh, beginning was much better put together. Uh, well, all of a muchness, really. <laughs> yeah. Say so don't. Uh, I hope that I have heard they're going to remake The Exorcist. I hope they don't. I really hope they don't. Why? Oh, jeez. What's the fucking point? There is no point. You ain't going to do it any better. Nope. You know. So there you go. You ain't going to do any better. Why bother? Oh, they'll probably go to a TV series, I expect, wouldn't they? That seems to be the thing. Oh, God. This week, oh. on The Exorcist. Father Marin exercises the twins' demons. I don't know. You'll have Father Marin going from town to town like Bill Bixby in The Hulk. <laughs> Just doing exorcisms <laughs> on people. Oh, watch the first one. If you have to watch a sequel, watch the third one. It's pretty good. Read the book. Yeah. Done and dusted. The Let's book is fantastic. Right, should we move on to our review of Black Mama, White Mama? Released this year by Arrow Video. Absolutely. Let's play a trailer. Oh, this is fucking wild. Oh, Black out. You think it's any cooler on mine? for a way out of There are none more dangerous than those who have nothing left to lose. That's cool. Women in chains. A thousand nights without a man. A thousand reasons to kill women in chains. From a hellhole of twisted passions to an inferno of flaming death. Chains of hate kept them bound together. Hounded by every love-hungry brute on the island. See, I don't like cops, and cops don't like me, so why should I help you? Ten thousand reward. Women in chains. We're going the wrong way. we got to get off. It's the right way for me, baby. If you screw up this deal for me, I'll kill you. Desperate and dangerous. 
women in chains. Right then, Black Mama, White Mama, 1973, directed by Eddie Romero and starring Pam Greer, Margaret Markov, Sid Haig, Lynn Borden, Laurie Burton, Eddie Garcia and Vic Diaz. Yes, when two troublemaking female prisoners, one a revolutionary, the other a form harem girl, can't seem to get along, they are chained together and extradited for safekeeping. The women, still chained together, stumble, stab, and catfight their way across the wilderness, igniting a bloody shootout between gangsters, revolutionaries, and the national police. Ooh, that sounds thrilling. <laughs> Maybe a little more than the movie was. <laughs> <laughs> Had you seen this uh, before? Years ago. Okay. Years ago. It is, you know, I mean, in the first five minutes, you have a slap and tickle shower scene, for Christ's sake, with a female guard looking in on them. So you kind of know what you're in for in this one. I think the problem with this film is I get the feeling it's two films that have been put together. Yes. It's very uneven. When you look at a lot of those women in prison films from that era, like the Walter Hill films, uh, Big Bird Cage, those types of things. Yep, yep. It's a pretty straightforward story. It's always, you know, the women trying to get out of the prison because they've got some dealer on the outside or whatever who's trying to bust them out and all that sort of stuff. This film sort of plays into that when one of the girls is a, a revolutionary and bloody, bloody, blah, and they've got bust out of the prison. But then the second half of the film is basically an episode of the 18. <laughs> with Sid Haig in the campest cowboy shirt you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> well, how about that Jeep, dude? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's got, I don't know what it's got on it, but it's got horns. It's, you know, you just, oh, God. And, hey, we get to see Sid Haig in his tidy whities <laughs> Yeah, that's an image you can't unsee, isn't it? No, you are right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's lots of... Uh, Rumpy pumpy sex scenes in this, lots of uh, boobs bouncing around all over the place, which yep. is yep. always good. Obviously, <laughs> it just feels it's it's not as enjoyable as watching Big Bird Cage or what's the other one? Oh, it's a dollhouse. The big dollhouse. Yeah, and I think that's down to direction mainly. Uh, I mean, Walter Hill was sort of a master at those sorts of things. Uh, this yeah. is directed by Eddie Romero, who's got a Pretty big history in B-movies and exploitation. But, but he, you know, he did Mad Doctor of Blood Island, which... I know. Wasn't... Okay, never mind. <laughs> yeah, it's not up there with The Exorcist. I'll give you that. Yeah, but it, you are right. It's almost like the whole prison part was one part of the movie, and then them running through the countryside, MacGyvering everything, was the last part of the movie. Yeah, and it just seems to... By the time you get to the end, it just seems to have run out of steam. Yep. I didn't really care for the ending. They could have done a little better, but is what it is. And, you know, it's certainly not one of Pam Greer's better efforts. No. And she feels quite secondary in a lot of it, to be honest. She does. I think she does. Yeah. You do get a lovely topless shot of Pam Greer, though, when she comes out of that big hot oven thing. With Miss Markov bouncing along right beside her. Yes, oh, yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I may have to have a lie down. <laughs> yeah yeah is that what they call it in britain yeah but um yeah there's plenty of that going on um the sadistic guard thing never really pays off you get that in the beginning you get the obvious guard who's got her eye on the pair of them there's a bit of a gunfight about halfway through the film when the girls bust out of prison the guards are shot and that's it they're never referred to or anything again 
Well, the 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 blonde guard who had her eye on everybody, uh, she was strangled. Yes, yes, and the, and the other one got shot. Yep. So uh, yeah, it, it just feels like two two stories put together to make one, and it doesn't quite flow. And I think that's the problem with it. And I and I'm a little concerned with Sid Haig's obsession with with uh, Cox in this movie. Yeah, he does talk about cocks quite a lot, doesn't he? And then he, he does he gets them to pull their pants down. And whoever's got the biggest cock, you know, survives type thing. Yeah, it was that was a little concerning to me. Yeah, be concerning for me if he came around here. We're doing all that, but there we go. Yeah, that's yeah, another story. Yeah. But uh, yeah, break it down into its core components. Pam Greer's good fun as always. Yep. Sid Haig is great, <laughs> even though he talks about cocks and wears a camp shirt. <laughs> uh Margaret Markov, she looks very nice, but she doesn't really doesn't really express anything other than she's a functional character, I suppose you could say. Yeah, yeah. But she plays a great second to uh, Pam Greer's character. Yeah, but then Pam Greer's character isn't really the driving force of the escape though, is she? No, not really. No, she's sort of tagging along by the virtue that she's handcuffed to to Margaret yes. Markov. Yeah, yes, yes. That's the trouble. Uh the other guy I wanted to mention, I think it's Vic Diaz. Yeah. Vic Diaz, who plays, I mean, I'm just looking at his IMDb profile, and the first line is, Vic Diaz reigns supreme as the jolly, evil, fat man of the Filipino exploitation scene. Was he the bloke getting the topless pedicure? Yeah. All right. I've seen him in a few things, lots of 70s exploitation films. Oh, he's still alive. His last film was in 2001. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just having a scroll down, see if I can see what else he's been in. He's in The Expendables. Oh, not that Expendables. A film from 1988 called The Expendables. And then he had two topless women giving him a rubdown at one point, too. Why not? He's in Black Belt 2, which I think I've seen. I've seen definitely seen Black Belt 1. He's in Death Force, the Dragon Force Connection. He's done a lot of exploitation. Yeah, Black Mama, White Mama, Super Beast, Daughters of Satan. He's in The Big Bird Cage. That's probably where I've seen him. But yeah, you'll know him when you see him. He's, say, he's a big, fat Filipino guy. Yeah, just getting a topless pedicure. Yeah, he is, and it's not him that's topless; it's the woman doing it. No, we get to see him topless later, though. Yeah, yeah. Again, you can't really unsee yes. that image. Can no, you? no, you can't. But then again, if I was that powerful, I wouldn't give a toss either. I'd just walk around with nothing on. Yeah, which I do anyway. But then the neighbours complain. So yeah, it's uh, it's an okay film. It's not the best Pangreer exploitation film you're ever going to see. Um, I doubt it's the worst. I haven't seen all of them, so I don't know. The Arrow Video remaster is, of course, lovely to look at. It's a nice a- look. Absolutely. Great, great job. Yeah. There. I used to have this on an old DVD. Um, this is cleaned up considerably compared to that. The first time I saw it, too, was uh, kind of a grainy, grainy type of uh, presentation as well, but cleaned up really well. Yeah. I think the audio wasn't quite consistent. I think in the beginning, some of the audio was a bit muffled. <laughs> Yeah. But I think that's just down to 70s filmmaking and they've, probably, they've done the best with it they can. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but, you know, if you're a lover of these exploitation films, these women in prison type things, you know, it's one you, you're going to see. Yeah. It's a great package from Arrow. It's another yeah. great package. There's a great interview with Sid Haig on there. Yep. As well as uh, Margaret Markov. I found yep. that one interesting. Yep. She's, she's got a lot to say about the film. There's an archive interview with Eddie Romero. Trailer gallery. Yep, we've got an audio commentary with filmmaker Andrew Leavold, director of The Search for Wen Wen, which I haven't seen. I've not either. That's Black Mama, White Mama. It's released. It's available now in the UK and the US on Arrow Video. Uh, if you have Coffee and Foxy Brown, you may want to add this to your collection. But it is the lesser of the three. 
It's even lesser than Sheba Baby. Yes, yes, I would agree with that. But there's still some fun to be had. Yes, a- absolutely. I mean, it's not a. I mean, I gave it three stars. I gave it. I gave it three as well. It's not a horrible movie at all, but it uh, it, it does fall short and does get a little bit tedious at times. But hey, it's a great Pam Greer movie. Yes, I gave it three Camp Sid Hay cowboy shirts out of five. <laughs> three G porns out of five. Yes. There we go. Right then, I think that's it for today. I do. What are we doing next? You know. I do. Do you want to announce it? Yeah, go on then. Leprechaun. That was another u- lister request. <laughs> Fucking leprechaun. Right. Yes. Do we get to see Jennifer Aniston's bits and bobs of this one? I don't remember. No. Oh, well. Oh, God, leprechaun. Yes, it's from a listener who I believe is called Jake on his email. Yep. Asked us to do the Leprechaun series, which Myron is more than happy to do. Yes, yes. Because he owns them all on Blu-ray. I do. I own them all on Blu-ray. Fucking hell. Box set. Oh, God. I do have them on DVD in various formats, yes. Oh, (laughs) God. Fucking Leprechaun. Okay. It didn't cost very much. What, the film? The film? The the box set. It was like The the budget for the film didn't cost very much? Well, I haven't seen some of the sequels in years and years and years. No, I haven't either. Uh, But I do like the first one. I'm going to say it right now. I enjoyed the first movie. Well, we'll get there. (laughs) The only one I can remember is the last one, and that's fucking hell. Oh, God. Yeah. Hornswoggle? Yeah. That was horrible. But yeah, we're going to do... Or at least start a look at the Leprechaun series. We might not do the whole lot in one show because there's about seven of them. I know. So I think we'll probably break it up and do maybe the first four. Yeah, that sounds good. We'll do the first four and then we'll do the following three in the show after that. Sounds good. But until that seismic activity of Leprechaun goodness happens. Oh, God. Yeah. Right. I think we'll say goodbye. (laughs) Goodbye. Bye. is the torment of your friend, Father Karras, as he watches while I rip and cut and mutilate the innocent, his friends, and again, and again, and on and on. He is inside with us. He will never get away. His pain won't end.